Amen. Let us open up our confessional reading this evening, Lord's Day 32, as we begin the third section of the Catechism. Worked through sin, salvation, here we come to service, or from guilt to grace to part three, gratitude. Lord's Day 32, the first two question and answers in the section that focuses on how should we live our life. Page 237 in the Smaller Forms and Prayers books. Question 86, let's together say the answer. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why then should we do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also renewing us by his spirit into his image, so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits and that he may be praised through us and further so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits and by our godly living our neighbors may be won over to Christ. Then question 87 Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and unrepentant ways? By no means, Scripture tells us that no unchaste person, no idolater, adulterer, thief, no covetous person, no drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like will inherit the kingdom of God. So far the confessional reading, let us turn now to the very word of God, Romans chapter 6. And just as you're turning there, I'll say this about question 86. The uh, Westminster confession begins with a focus on the glory of God. Uh, What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that's that's an important truth, and it's put in a strategic place. Question and answer one of the Westminster. Well, in the Heidelberg, and so now we're talking about two of the uh, great, there are many confessions written, especially during the Reformation and after the Reformation. In, in, in the confession which, which we uh, hold to in a special way, the glory of God is also emphasized in a strategic place, in a critical place. Not question answer one, but question answer 86. The first question on how we live our lives out. For see that Everything except for the words give glory to God are, are in the first half of this answer. It's, it's an explanation of what it means to live with glory to God. 
so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits and that he may be praised, we could say glorified, through us. And so uh, this is uh, this is the, the focus of our sermon this morning, to do everything for God's glory. And uh, really before we get into the text, I'm just pointing out where it is here in this strategic place in the catechism as the section on our life, our life of gratitude, our life of service begins. And that's really what we're looking at, especially the first half of question and answer 86 is, is, what's, is what's relating to our text uh, this evening. And so with that word, uh, let us read from Romans chapter 6. And we'll begin uh, for some context in verse 1, and we'll focus on verses 12 to 19. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Christ. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations 
For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. So far the reading of the Holy Word of God. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, usually when we hear the word grace, we associate that word with forgiveness. You are forgiven by the grace of God. And that is an absolutely right association. Forgiveness and grace do go together. We know that in the English. It's, it's, even, uh, it's even especially clear in the Greek. You might know the word, uh, the Greek word for grace. Uh, it was in our bulletin today because the name of the Charis Pregnancy Resource Center, Charis, is the Greek word for grace. Charis is the word for grace. Now, there are two uh, different uh, verbs for forgiveness in the Greek in the New Testament. One of those is charismo. It comes from the same root. It is grace in action. Remember that verbs are action words. So grace, charis, forgiveness, grace in action, charismo. These words are associated together. We are forgiven by the grace of God. But that is not the only word association. Grace does not only go with forgiveness. Grace also goes, and this is clear in our text, with obedience. Because as we see the phrase under grace in verse 14 and then again in verse 15, in the words that come before and in the words that come after, there is, there is much to say, there is much for us to hear about obedience. We are called, brothers and sisters, to be obedient under grace, under God's banner of grace, under God's rule, under God's leading. And so uh, we look at this text tonight and we consider this truth, that we are to live for God's glory in obedience under grace. And as I give our three points, uh, first, not ruled by sin. Second, not ruled by excuses. And third, committed to sanctification. I'll say that uh, there is a, an illustration that we're going to talk a lot about in our first point that goes also into our second point, And that is uh, the illustration of warfare. And we'll see that uh, shortly. And that's part of what we're using the word ruled for. We are not ruled by sin. We're not commanded by sin. We are not to fight for the army of sin, we might say. Well, brothers and sisters, let's look at uh, verses 12 to 14. Not ruled by sin. We are not saved by our obedience. That is so abundantly clear in the scriptures, including here in Romans and, and even especially in the surrounding context. If we just go back to Romans 5, we are all under Adam. 
We are all in the bondage of sin and death by nature, following Adam, our first father. We are all in need of the new head, Jesus Christ. And so we are, we are not saved by our obedience. And that's so plain in Romans, in, in Romans 5 and the other chapters before. But we are called to obedience, even though it's not how we are saved. It is what we are called into. The believer must be obedient. The, obedi- the believer must not be ruled by sin. Sin cannot be our, our commander, our chief. And so, into this context, the apostle say, says, verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. And this leads into uh, an illustration. An illustration which is a little bit lost in translation. There's another illustration which is, which is very plain. We see that plainly in the English and what follows, and that's that illustration of slave and master. But the illustration in verses 12 to 14 is a little bit lost because the word for instruments, and we see that uh, twice in verse 13, it's really the Greek word for weapons. It could have been translated that way. Weapons. Do not present your members to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members, all the members of your body, your your thoughts, your words, your deed, what you do with your mind, what you do with your hands, what you do with your feet, these are all weapons in the war for man's soul, in the spiritual warfare of this realm. And you will present those weapons either to the kingdom of Satan or to the kingdom of heaven. Where will you present your weapons? Where will your hands be given, your thoughts, your heart, your feet? What banner will they march under? It must be under the banner of God. It must be for his glory. This is so, so critical, brothers and sisters. Consider as, as, as an illustration of how critical it is to be battling under the right banner. Picture an, an incredibly brave soldier. And he uses all his weapons and he stands in the gap and he protects his fellow soldiers who are pinned down and, and he does it long enough to not only save their lives but he does it long enough for the for the air support to come and, and to win the day. He, he, he turns the tide of the battle with his weapons. But now imagine that he has done this and let's say it's, it's one of the plainest examples of just warfare that the world has ever seen. It's World War II. But the banner that he's fighting under is the Nazi flag. And the city that he has just protected is Auschwitz. And the concentration camp near that city 
and all of the vile evil associated with it, well now that city will not come under allied occupation and that concentration camp will not yet be liberated. We are not called to be brave. We are not called to be kind. We are not called to be generous. We are not called to be nice. We are called to be obedient under God's flag for His glory, fighting for His army. It does not matter what we do. It doesn't matter how kind, how generous, how philanthropic, how cool. It does not matter if all of that bravery, if all of that intellect, if all of that smarts, if all of that curing cancer, it doesn't matter what you do if you do it under the banner of your own name. Under the banner of anything except God because everything apart from God is part of the kingdom of Satan. We must present our members for righteousness to God. And then, brothers and sisters, so so many applications flow from that. Now, there's such a there's such a there's such a great picture of of what it means to present your body to be committed to something, and that uh, in that work by J.R. Tolkien, right, when the Fellowship of the Ring gathers together, and and and, uh, and of course it's just a picture, and they're just gathering together under the under the name of of a person, really under under Frodo. But it's that picture of presenting your your weapons to a cause. You have my axe. You have my bow. You have my sword. And now you fight together for that cause. Even if the people around you maybe aren't the people you would have chosen, at least not initially, right? At least not initially. Legolas and, and Gimli didn't really want to get along. And Brothers and sisters, that's, that's just a small picture. Now we take that and we take that into the kingdom of God and we say, give your weapons, give everything, your mind, your heart, your hands, your feet, and serve under the banner of one cause in one fellowship. And that's what matters, the team you're fighting for. Don't go off with those People that you think are your friends over there, they're fighting under the wrong banner. You must come over here. It doesn't matter who you are with. It doesn't matter if you really like them or not. This is who you must fight with because you are together fighting for 
God. Do you see that there are two kingdoms? Nobody sitting in the trenches says, you know what, I don't think the people around me really understand me very well. I'm just going to get up and I'm going to walk over to the other trench. Nobody in the trench says, you know what, some of my fellow soldiers are a little annoying. I'm going to get up and I'm just going to walk over and I'm going to go in the other trench. No, you present your weapons to God. And yes, it's true. All of us believers are struggling. And so your fellow soldiers are not perfect. But your commander-in-chief is perfect. And he leads from the front. And he has already given his life so that the victory is assured. That is where you go. That is where you give your life. Because he already gave his life for you. That is whose banner you must march under. And it is his people who, like you, are struggling sinners because only the commander-in-chief is perfect. It is his people whom you must, you must march with. And even as we're all struggling and imperfect in this march, there, there cannot be complete mutiny. We need to follow the orders. We need to be soldiers guided by God's command. Giving our hands, our feet, our heart, our mind to our commander in chief. Because sin no longer has dominion. That's no longer our commander in chief. We are not for the kingdom of Satan anymore. We fight under the king of kings and his reign, having presented all of ourselves to him and for his glory and for his banner. Oh, brothers and sisters, we probably should have just developed that more and made this two sermons. But we will uh, move and we'll go more quickly through verses 15 to 19. Our second and third point will be more brief. But we will come to those verses and to the other powerful illustration of this text not ruled by excuses. The human heart is so quick to make excuses that the Apostle Paul has to say, we might loosely paraphrase verse 15 this way, what then, because you're under God's banner, because God has already won the victory, you think you can do whatever you want? 
No, just because the commander-in-chief has already won the victory, just because there's no longer any condemnation under sin, that doesn't mean you can go and do whatever you want. Not under the law. How does that relate to Christ's victory? Well, the way the Apostle Paul is using the word law here is, is he's speaking about the condemnation of the law. He's making that very plain. Not under the law. What does that mean in Romans 6? In Romans 6, that means not under the condemnation of the law. The king of kings, our commander-in-chief, has won the victory. We are not under the curse, the condemnation, the penalty of the law anymore. And the Apostle Paul knows that by our sinful nature, we're all from Adam by nature, back in Romans 5, because of our sinful nature, as soon as we hear something like, not under the law, we'll be tempted to say, oh, I can go and do whatever I want. When we hear, there's no more condemnation, the victory has already been won. Our sinful nature is tempted to think, oh, the battle's already won. It doesn't matter what I do in the fight. No, 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 no. By no means, the apostle says. And do not, do not follow these lines of thinking, even though I know that's how the human heart likes to think. No, not under the law, but under grace means march under the banner of victory obediently as his soldiers, as his servants, as his slaves. You see the movement? And as he does this, he takes us into the second illustration of our text, the one that's, that's very plain in the English and that really dominates verses 16 to 19. Your, your master is, is not Satan in death anymore. Your master is God. And under his, under his banner of grace, you must be his obedient slaves and servants. He has done everything for us. We are called to give our all for Him. We must be obedient under grace. We must repent of our sins, turn away from our sin. If anyone says that he's marching in the Lord's army, if anyone says that he is God's slave, but he has no thought for the commands of his master, he has no thought for fighting for God's kingdom, and, and all of his actions show disobedience and mutiny, and, and, and mutiny, what do we say? say? The scripture tells us he will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not part of the kingdom of God. Question answer 87. And that's language really taken straight from 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Marching under the banner of God's grace, we must repent of our sins. We must, we must desire more and more to be rid of our sins. We desire to march under that banner of grace. We desire to be good soldiers, obedient slaves. And now, brothers and sisters, our, our third point then, moving into verses 17 to 19, we're, we're, we're committed to this service. We're committed to, to sanctification. And see that, that language of commitment comes from verse 17. 
The language of sanctification comes from the end of verse 19. All of this again, now, now the text is, is dominated by the, by the slightly different illustration of, of slavery and master. We are God's slaves. He is our master. We must obey him. We must be committed to obeying him. Now in all of this, the apostle reminds us that he's speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. And that's true for any illustration. Any illustration is always limited by the fact that it's an illustration and by our human experience. And so if we think in terms of the slave-master relationship, uh, one of the limitations is that it's hard to, it's hard to think of that in a positive light, especially in the United States where we saw one of the one of the worst, one of the more horrific forms of slavery that this earth has seen in our not so distant past. But even for Roman, uh, for Roman people living in the Roman Empire where, where the slavery was not as cruel, where it was not racially based, where it was not as bad, it, Roman slavery could still be something very uh, cruel. Simply put, to have one human owned by another human is something which often has a vile and sad end. And so the, uh, the limitation is it's hard for us to grasp this as a positive image. It is, it is uh, the slave-master relationship which is something which has been uh, so horrific so often in history. But even that limitation is also part of what makes the illustration so good. Because when we take that illustration and think of it in terms of being slaves to sin, well, that is the ultimate horror. That is being chained and being led to death. That is the worst form of slavery. And so all of the most cruel accounts of slavery that there have been, and again, in, in our own nation, there are some very cruel and ugly and vile accounts of what slavery can be. What are those? That's just a small picture of what it means to be bound in the chains of sin. It doesn't feel like that. It doesn't look like that. The author of Hebrews speaks about the fleeting pleasures of pursuing sin. But that's what it is. And that is its end. Whichever way a person pursues sin... Whichever way a, a person refuses to repent and, and, and holds on to sinful thoughts, desires, deeds, if that is what rules you, if that is your master, it is the way of death. But then, when we come to the one who is the master of all who believe. Then complete ownership, that's what it is and should be. That's literally what we were made for. You were not made to be your own. You were made as God's creature. 
to be his steward of this creation, to worship him. That's what you were made to do. That's the slavery that we need. And then, brothers and sisters, all of the vileness which can come from one human sinner owning another human sinner. Well, when we are completely owned by God, we are owned by the master of love. Again, to be under God is to be under grace. Because that is who God is. That is how God, who gave his own life for our sins, leads us. And so uh, we will be slaves. We were made to be slaves. But when we repent of our sins, when we come to God, this is the good slavery because he is the good master. So let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter 11. And let's read of this sweet slavery because of the good master. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. At this time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the slavery we were made for. This is the master you are called to serve. This is the king of kings under whose banner you must march. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, We give thanks to you that you speak to us even in the limitations of human speech. We give thanks to you that you have illustrated and laid plainly before us 